Hello, my name's Florence. Welcome to the OBS pod. I'm an NHS obstetrician, hoping to share some thoughts and experiences about my working life. Perhaps you enjoy Call the Midwife, maybe birth fascinates you, or you're simply curious about what exactly an obstetrician is. You might be pregnant and preparing for birth. Perhaps you work in maternity and want to know what makes your obstetric colleagues tick, or you want some fresh ideas and inspiration. Whichever of these is the case, and for that matter, anyone else that's interested, the OBSPOD is for you. Episode 109, HIV. I've come to this topic today because I've been watching It's a Sin. For UK listeners, it's a BBC drama available on iPlayer. It talks about the 80s and the start of the AIDS crisis. It's a brilliant drama and a very upsetting watch as successive young men die of a devastating disease. Watching this made me realise just how much has changed over the years about HIV care. And so I thought I'd do an episode about HIV in pregnancy. HIV is one of the viruses that we screen for at the beginning of pregnancy. It may seem a bit odd. And initially, this may have felt quite a scary thing to do. I remember when I was pregnant with my own children, the thought that I was going to have an HIV test was quite worrying, even though I knew that I was very low risk for having caught an infection. I guess that's because I grew up in the 80s when AIDS was at its most devastating in this country. The reason we screen is because HIV is vertically transmitted. That means it can pass from mother to baby. And if we know a woman is HIV positive, we can take measures that are very effective at preventing this transmission. So screening is really important. And it's fantastic that the uptake in the UK is around 97%. That is that when we ask women are they willing to be tested for HIV at the beginning of their antenatal care? The vast majority of them agree. On the whole, these days, most of the pregnant women we see with HIV will actually already know their status prior to pregnancy. But this screening programme does mean that we pick up nationally approximately a 1,000 new diagnoses a year. And therefore, that's a thousand babies that we potentially save from catching HIV through vertical transmission. One of the key things about screening is the importance of the prevalence in the population. And actually, the prevalence is pretty low, between 0.3 to 0.5 per thousand for UK-born women. These numbers are higher for women from sub-Saharan Africa 
and maybe as high as 2 or 3%. So this gives us an overall prevalence of 2.2 per thousand from UK surveillance data. So how many women you might care for with HIV and pregnancy very much depends on the demographic of your population. I used to be the consultant that specifically cared for these women in my hospital, but we would only see a handful a year, maybe five cases or so. These numbers were very low because my population doesn't have large numbers of women from sub-Saharan Africa. However, I know colleagues in other London hospitals have much higher numbers. In some ways, this presents a problem. If you have small numbers of women, are you really au fait with the most recent thinking and medical care? But equally, if you only have a very small number of women, it's very easy to give very personalised care and to know each woman really well individually. HIV, as some of the other things I've discussed in pregnancy, we work very closely with colleagues, colleagues from the sexual health department, their pharmacists, and of course, our paediatricians. So we have a full MDT to discuss each case individually. I don't look after these women anymore because a colleague started up a proper maternal medicine service. But in some ways I miss it. I did enjoy looking after these women and trying to give them the best possible care I could. When I started caring for women at the beginning of my career, having a woman that was HIV positive felt very scary. The mainstay of treatment would be to give AZT prior to performing a caesarean section. So the women would come in and have an AZT infusion, an antiviral infusion, for four hours and then have a caesarean which would help prevent vertical transmission. Obviously performing a caesarean section was a worry for us on an HIV positive woman. We would double glove and we would use a specific type of needle, a so-called blunt needle, to reduce the chance of needle stick injury and therefore transmission to ourselves. These blunt needles have a rounded end rather than a sharp pointy end. They're slightly different to operate with. You have to put them through the tissue with slightly more determination and force and they kind of pop through rather than going through as easily as a knife through butter. We don't tend to use these needles as standard at my hospital, but I know many hospitals where the prevalence is higher or women may not have had HIV screening because their recent arrivals in the UK 
transferring their maternity care use these blunt needles all the time as a matter of routine. One of the other important mainstays to reduce vertical transmission was not to breastfeed. This is one of the rare occasions where we actually recommend bottle feeding. And because of this, we may offer medication for lactation suppression. That is medication to take that prevents the production of milk so that the woman doesn't have to be very uncomfortable while her milk supply dries up. Of course, one of the key issues looking after a woman with HIV is that of confidentiality. You have to establish which of her family know about her status. Is she openly talking about it or not? Obviously, any sexual partners, we very much encourage the woman to be open and honest with those so that they can attend for screening. But wider family members may not be aware and therefore we would have to be very careful about what we wrote in the woman's handheld notes as well as being very careful when visitors were on the postnatal ward. Sometimes women would ask us for help with an explanation as to why they'd had a caesarean birth so that they had ahead of time a coherent story a narrative to tell their wider family and friends if they didn't wish to disclose their status. So when I was training a caesarean section, AZT infusion and not breastfeeding were the mainstays of treatment. That was in the 90s. These days, things have radically changed as treatment for HIV has become much more effective. This is because of the introduction of HEART, highly active antiretroviral therapy. This consists of usually three or more antiretroviral drugs that reduce the plasma virus levels below the limits of detection. This has massively changed the management of women with HIV during pregnancy. Our aim now is treatment to result in an undetectable viral load. And on the whole, we do achieve this. There are extremely low transmission rates to babies if women are on heart. 0.1 per thousand. Some women, of course, will be on antiretroviral treatment prior to pregnancy. But for others that don't require this out of pregnancy, our sexual health colleagues will start it during pregnancy aiming to achieve an undetectable viral load by 36 weeks of pregnancy. In other words, before the baby is likely to be due. This means that if the woman's viral load is undetectable, we no longer have to recommend a caesarean birth 
for that reason alone. We will only need to perform a caesarean for other obstetric indications. The woman can have a vaginal birth. And this treatment has also revolutionised how women get pregnant. If they know their HIV status and they have an undetectable viral load, then if they want to start a family, they are not putting their partner at any risk of infection. This means that people with HIV can plan their family just the same way as everybody else. And this also means that other options are open to these women. They're no longer constrained by their HIV status in terms of their birth choices. The only situation in which things differ slightly is if the woman breaks her waters before she goes into labour and she's planning a vaginal birth we would normally suggest an induction immediately rather than waiting 24 hours for spontaneous onset of labour so that we're aiming for the birth of the baby to be within 24 hours of when the waters broke. What about place of birth? Well, if you look at the guidance which I've attached in the programme notes, one of the recommendations is that women with HIV should give birth in a hospital, having direct access to paediatric services. And that's partly because of the care that the babies require after birth. But I can tell you that I have had women who have contemplated or had a home birth, despite their HIV status. And providing appropriate plans can be made for the baby on an individual basis this may be achievable. If the viral load is low a woman can also consider a water birth just like everybody else. Of course there will be some women who come late or for whom their viral load isn't undetectable and then there is very clear guidance about the requirement still to perform a caesarean section and what drugs need to be given. So one of the most important things when you're looking after a woman who has HIV is to know whether she's someone with an undetectable viral load, very much engaged in care of sexual health colleagues and very much managing her viral status or whether this is a woman with a new diagnosis or who isn't on treatment. And if it's unclear what the woman's viral load is or the viral load has been unpredictable during pregnancy, then it's essential that a viral load should be done during labour or a contingency plan made during pregnancy as to what should be done if we haven't achieved an undetectable viral load when she goes into labour. The slightly complicating factor 
is that women with HIV do have slightly higher rates of preterm birth. And this is regardless of treatment. So having a plan for if the woman goes into labour early is important. Sexual health colleagues will have detailed discussions with women planning pregnancies about what the most appropriate medication for them to take and what are the pros and cons in terms of the baby prior to pregnancy and then will modify their treatment regimes accordingly. The chance of neural tube defects such as spina bifida are slightly higher with some medications and so women are recommended to take folic acid prior to conception and through the first 12 weeks. We usually also offer growth scans as a matter of routine for women with HIV in pregnancy. So what of the baby? The number of babies with HIV in this country is thankfully tiny, less than five babies a year. And mainly these infections occur because women are undiagnosed, opted out of screening or possibly seroconverted during pregnancy and breastfeeding. That is, they've contracted HIV during that moment in time. They were negative at the beginning and positive by the end. All babies of women with HIV are tested and followed up after birth. They have testing immediately after birth and then at six weeks, 12 weeks and 18 months. All babies are given treatment and this will depend on what the maternal viral load was at the time of birth and how long she's been on treatment. The minimum amount of time a baby will be on treatment is two weeks for the very low risk mother. More commonly babies are given treatment for four weeks but this may be extended depending on the clinical situation. So working very closely with paediatric colleagues it's not only helpful because they know which women are coming up and what their viral load is like, what medication they're on and therefore how they're going to treat their babies. But also they can give us news of the women that have had their babies in the last 18 months, how they're getting on and what is that baby's status. So that gives us ongoing information about that family which can be a real joy to hear. In addition, some of the families we look after obviously come back for their second or third child, giving us that wonderful continuity of care. Alongside this management of the clinical condition of HIV, obviously there's a phenomenal social and psychological aspect. Women need support, particularly if they're having a new diagnosis in pregnancy. You can imagine how devastating that might feel. But also, like any other complex pregnancy, 
feelings about their own health, managing their medication, side effects from medication and the worries about what that may or may not do to their baby are difficult to manage. So making sure that the woman has had a mental health assessment and has in place the right support to work through these issues and provide her and her baby with the best start is essential component of care of women with HIV. I am far from an expert, but I know some midwives are sometimes frightened of caring for women with HIV. And that slightly takes me back to those posters that we had back in the 80s. It used to say, AIDS, don't die of ignorance. And I think ignorance is a good word. You're not going to die. Far from it in this country. We're very fortunate because we have access to the correct antiretrovirals and outstanding care. But ignorance, ignorance still has a big role to play. Therefore, my zesty bit is, if you don't often look after women with HIV, perhaps have a little read of the guidance. It's very long. I've attached it in the programme notes. But I hope this short episode has given you a bit of a feel for actually HIV not being a big scary thing anymore, but actually being a very manageable situation that women have a good quality of life and life expectancy as do their babies and that really it's just another condition that we're dealing with like many other conditions we deal with during pregnancy it's no different it's no more scary it just needs very particular care and MDT working and that these women deserve the same care that standard of care that we offer to everybody else. We don't need to treat them differently. If their viral load is undetectable, all possible choices are open to them. If you're a pregnant woman listening to this, I hope this has helped you understand why we suggest HIV screening in pregnancy and also why... Should you be that very rare person who is diagnosed during pregnancy, it's not something to be frightened of and it's something that we can massively help protect your baby if we know your status. So choose to opt in and there will be fantastic experts on hand in the unlikely event that your test comes back positive. I very much hope you found this episode of the OBSPOD interesting. If you have, it'd be fantastic if you could subscribe, rate and review on whatever platform you find your podcasts, as well as recommending the OBSPOD to anyone you think might find it interesting. There's also tons of episodes to explore in my back catalogue from clinical topics 
my career and journey as an obstetrician and life in the NHS more generally. I'd like to assure women I care for that I take confidentiality very seriously and take great care not to use any patient identifiable information unless I have expressly asked the permission of the person involved on that rare occasion when it's been absolutely necessary. If you found this episode interesting and want to explore the subject a little more deeply, don't forget to take a look at the programme notes where I've attached some links. If you want to get in touch to suggest topics for future episodes, you can find me at The Obs Pod on Twitter and Instagram and you can email me theobspod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.